is the sound of a coral reef in Florida. That crackling noise is from the life that's surrounding me, from the tiny shrimp hiding in the ground to large parrotfish crunching on coral. In this episode, we're going to take a closer look at this ecosystem. Many of us plugged into Nature News have heard about how coral reefs are dying. So let's talk about why. Hi, I'm Kate Harubi, and this is Go Forth in Science podcast, where we combine adventure and science into a tale that will hopefully make the next time you step outside even better. Today we have Amanda, and we met on a dive boat when I was doing research on corals. So who are you and what do you do? I am an ocean acidification research technician at Moat Marine Laboratory down in the Florida Keys. I work at the International Center for Coral Reef Research and Restoration. Basically, that's a whole lot of words to sum up the fact that I do a lot of water quality and um, chemistry that is more like analytical, essentially. We take water samples from different types of experiments, as well as from out in the field, and I take them back into my lab to better understand the makeup of that water and how that water may or may not interact with the living organisms in that area or that experiment. A couple of days after we met on the dive, Amanda showed me around her lab at Moat. We started inside in a room full of machines and computers and countertop water tanks and shelves and shelves of water samples and glass bottles, neatly waiting their turn to be tested in the machines. Moat is filled with labs like these, where experiments are run on anything from ocean acidification to genetics. After checking out the labs, we traveled outside into the South Florida sun, where there are rows of waist-high tanks filled with tiny pieces of coral. The tanks are covered in shades to protect them from that South Florida sun, but we got to peek into a few and see the different species growing there, carefully monitored by scientists. So how did you get into ocean chemistry research and working with corals? It's a great question. Honestly, I kind of was in the right place at the right time. And often a lot of scientists have the same story, but I'm actually from Michigan. I grew up in Michigan and I knew at a young age, I wanted to do marine science. I wasn't sure which realm I wanted to kind of go into. Cause when you say marine science to a young kid, they just think of the ocean or dolphins essentially. <laughs> they yep. don't necessarily think of coral right away. And I didn't think of coral right away at a young age, but as I got older and I learned more about climate change and I learned more about ocean acidification, as well as how the reefs are being impacted and how much they've degraded in the past few decades. I really became passionate and interested in understanding our impact on the oceans, but more specifically on the species that were really negatively impacting like corals. So after I graduated from college in Michigan at Albion College, I applied to do an internship in the ocean acidification program down here in Summerlin Key with Moat. And I got word that I got my internship and I packed up and within a three weeks of getting word, I was down here and I, I knew nothing about laboratory work. I'd never worked really in a lab. So I really was kind of like starting at more of a base level understanding. And in that time, it was right before COVID. My, my boss, she, she and I really got along and we did really good work together. I really enjoyed what I was doing. And she had received a different job offer and she decided that she was going to leave Moat, but there was no one else to fill her position. And it was going to take some time to find someone that could fill her position. And there was no one else down here in the Keys because there's not many, many people down here with that skill set. So her boss at the time, my boss now, she asked me to stay on. 
So I decided I was like, okay, I guess I guess this is a this is a really good opportunity. I'll, I'm going to stay and I'm going to help them continue running and operating the lab, and we'll see what happens. All thinking maybe I'd go do something else eventually, and then COVID came and changed changed the world for all of us as well as how we work. And basically, I've just kind of stuck with Moat. It's a great place to work, and I enjoy what I do. I love the fact that I actually feel like I'm making a difference in my daily life and my daily work. So that's kind of how I got here, and I started really learning more about the importance of ocean acidification research as well as coral research in general. Amanda's two-month internship turned full-time job means she's gathering information from both the ocean water and the water running through experiments. Through instruments and computer programs, Amanda is able to figure out the temperature of the water, how salty it is, how acidic it is, and what is in it, like specific types of carbon molecules. And more importantly, how much of those carbon molecules are in the water. Because, spoiler alert, levels of those affect coral. So to step back a little bit, what is ocean acidification? Why is it happening? Oh man, great question. Ocean acidification, it's the other side of climate change. We've heard a lot about people or scientists talking about ocean warming. Well, that is caused by the greenhouse gases that are being trapped in our atmosphere, but there's another side of it. Ocean acidification is another byproduct of climate change due to the fact that we are putting so many greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, such as CO2. CO2, or carbon dioxide, is one of the gases that gets put into the atmosphere every time we use our cars, hop on a plane, or heat our homes. CO2 isn't just going to stay in the atmosphere. The atmosphere and the ocean, they have an interface, right? The, the surface of the ocean. And there, there's mixing that's able to occur. So CO2 will be absorbed by the ocean. And actually, about a third of all of the anthropogenic CO2 that we've put into the air is being absorbed and will continue to be absorbed by the ocean. So essentially what's happening is the H2O or water molecules are mixing and combining with CO2 molecules from the air. And then what they do from there is they form carbonic acid and carbonic acid breaks apart pretty readily. And so when it breaks apart, what happens is a hydrogen ion will be removed essentially from that one molecule and create a hydrogen ion free floating in the water along with the bicarbonate ion. And then honestly, to take it even a step further than that, the bicarbonate it has an extra hydrogen ion that can, again, bust off and become free-floating in the water as well, and that will form carbonate. So it's a, it's a step-by-step process that's all just naturally occurring as more CO2 gets dumped in the atmosphere, more of it will be absorbed by the ocean, and, and when it enters the ocean, this is that natural process of the chemicals reacting to each other and breaking down just based on their shape. So to jump back to those high school or college chemistry classes that you may have doodled your way through, like I did, these molecules are all just mixing together and sharing parts of themselves with each other. Sometimes this sharing means bits and pieces are going to be left behind. These are ions. They are elements, like hydrogen, that are floating around in the water. Fun fact, ions are actually also what makes the ocean salty. Sodium and chloride are the two most common ions in the ocean, and sodium chloride is a fancy name for salt. When we pump extra carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, and therefore the ocean, it means that there will be those extra ions floating around in the sea. 
Therefore, more hydrogen ions essentially are entering the ocean, right? Because they're all busting apart from these step-by-step processes. And as you add more hydrogen ions into the water, you decrease the pH because pH is a measurement of hydrogen ions. More hydrogen ions, lower pH. Lower pH, more acidic. So the more carbon dioxide we pump into our atmosphere, the more acidic our oceans are becoming. Every time you turn on your car, every time plastic is made or fossil fuels are burned, anything that is going to contribute to creating more greenhouse gases and specifically CO2 is going to increase acid in, in the oceans. So how does this chemical reaction hurt our corals? Well, we're still trying to figure that out. (laughs) To be completely honest, we know that the pH is dropping, right? So by knowing that the pH is dropping, we know that there's also interactions that are going to occur naturally with the acidity levels. But the effect itself is really more about the actual ability for that coral to calcify. And when I say calcify, I'm talking about its its actual skeletal structure. So coral itself, you kind of have to understand coral in order to understand how ocean acidification really impacts it. Because coral is a really unique organism. It's one of the oldest organisms we've got on this planet. And it's because they've evolved to not only benefit themselves, but they benefit the ocean as a whole. 25% of all marine species and the biodiversity in the ocean can be found on coral reefs themselves. They're essentially like the rainforests of the ocean. Coral, they create a structure. They create an actual rock structure to house other living organisms. But really what they're doing is they're growing. They're, they're creating a skeleton for themselves. The, their structure is really for themselves, but other organisms benefit from them as well. So their skeleton is made out of calcium carbonate, which is also limestone, essentially. As they grow and as they get bigger, they have to acquire and make this calcium carbonate. And as the oceans acidify, it becomes a little bit more difficult for them to do so because one, there's less calcium carbonate readily available for them just based on the ions. As the ocean gets more acidic, it's harder and harder for corals to make their skeletons because the molecules that they need to grow aren't as available in that acidic ocean. It's like suddenly the coral is missing the Rice Krispies out of their Rice Krispie treat. Sure, it still has part of the recipe, but it doesn't have the part that's going to keep them from being a gooey mess. And when corals can't build these strong, dense skeletons, they're more likely to break in waves, storms, or because of predators. But it also impacts their physiology. When we're under stress as people, we tend not to work as well. Our bodies don't work as well. And that's any kind of stress, Um, whether it's physical stress, mental stress, emotional stress. Ocean acidification is a physical stressor for corals because it's not allowing them to calcify as easily and it's forcing them to expend more energy on maintaining the growth that they already have and their their skeletal structure as it is without even considering growing. So ocean acidification is just a large stressor for coral. And we're still trying to figure out the nuances of it and how it actually chemically alters their tissues and how their microbiome is affected by it as well, which is all of the other organisms that help keep them healthy. But then it also has an impact on the algal species that lives inside their tissues as well. That algal species both provides food for the coral and gives coral its brilliant colors. It's, it's what makes coral so beautiful. Okay, so wait, coral is a rock, an animal, and a plant? Yes, yes it is. 
Coral has that hard, rocky skeleton on the outside, an animal on the inside, and then inside that animal is the algae. The algae gets food from sunlight, while the animal gets food from plankton and the surrounding water. And the two feast together in their nice, protective skeleton house. At least until the coral gets stressed and kicks the algae out of its house. This is called coral bleaching. It's not necessarily directly linked to ocean acidification yet, but it is definitely linked to heat stress. And we found, especially through some of the studies we've done here at Moat, that in combination when you're considering heat stressors like ocean warming, it's really important for you to also consider ocean acidification because ocean warming isn't happening on its own. It's happening in combination with ocean acidification. So to really get a better idea of how coral is being affected by ocean acidification, you have to also consider the fact that it's happening while the oceans are warming too. Like I said, we're still figuring it out. I I would love to, to give you the answer as to how they're being affected exactly, but If I had to sum it up, I would say that it has to do with the stress that is being caused and the ability for them to grow and maintain their health. What is your favorite part of your job? I think my favorite part of my job is just the fact that I get to be part of something that's bigger than myself. I've never worked in marine science before, and I wasn't sure if it was a good idea for me to pursue a career that I was extremely passionate about because I've heard many people tell me, you don't want to mix work and pleasure because then your pleasure no longer becomes pleasurable. It's just work. But I can happily say that that's not entirely true for me. I, I do love my job and I love it because of the impact I know that it's creating. And I get the opportunity to talk to people and educate them on things that they may not have access to that information in any other way. So I love the work that I do because it's important and that's probably my favorite part. But the fact that I get to also spread that to other people and have interactions like this and like we had on the boat, how we met, that's probably my favorite part. When Amanda and I met on the dive, we started talking about all the subjects we're covering here. We both hyped each other up so much that by the end of the boat ride back to shore, some of the other divers had gathered around, drawn to our excitement and all-out nerdiness. So nerdy, in fact, that I had whipped off my wetsuit and was using the saltwater molecule tattooed on my back as a teaching aid. Yes, I have an ocean-themed science tattoo. Is anyone really surprised? What is the coolest thing that you have seen underwater? Before I moved down here to the Florida Keys, I actually had the opportunity to go diving at the Georgia Aquarium in their whale shark tank. And that was a birthday gift that I received from my friend. Easily the best birthday gift I could ask for because, oh my gosh, whale sharks are incredible beings. They are huge and massive and beautiful and gentle and amazing. And when I got to dive in the Georgia Aquarium whale shark tank, which is like the size of a football field, mind you, this thing is huge. And each whale shark is at least like 20 feet long. That was probably one of the coolest things I've ever seen or done underwater is just being next to these massive beings who's been around for so long and evolutionarily speaking, like hasn't changed because they're so well adapted to their environment. It's, it's super humbling to be near them and to be able to appreciate them. As far as like being out in the wild, 
I love seeing all of the baby corals growing back here in the Florida Keys. That's probably the coolest thing I've ever seen myself, but that's partly because I know how devastated our reefs are down here. And I know how much work it's taken and how, how beautifully they're coming back and they are coming back. We're, we're helping that happen. So whenever I see little baby coral polyps underwater, that's probably like my most exciting moment. Baby corals are just so cute. <laughs> yes. Oh, all coral. I love coral. Oh, I'm yeah. definitely a coral nerd, but when they're super teeny tiny, oh, they just take my heart. <laughs> it's super hopeful and like heartwarming to see that, yes, these ecosystems are in pretty bad shape, but we're also working so hard to try and get those back. Yeah, slowly but surely, one step at a time. How can people help coral reefs? You are obviously doing such a significant part to help these coral reefs. For the listeners that are tuning into this who maybe aren't scientists or live in Washington State or something like that, where like we don't really have surface level coral reefs, what can we do to help coral reefs? I think with the state of the world right now, it's really bleak sometimes and feeling like you're powerless and like there's nothing that you can do. But the reality is there is so much we can do in our daily lives, whether you're a scientist or not, just just being a person, every choice that you make in terms of how sustainable you're trying to be, how mindful you're trying to be, how, how wasteful you are. All of these sorts of ideas are tied to reefs because they're tied to the rest of the world and they're tied to the environment. Being more conscientious of your impact on the world around you is really the first step. The way that I like to explain it to people, especially people who live in like landlocked states that never see the ocean, everything that you consume had to be produced by something and has to end up somewhere. Ocean acidification and climate change in general, it's a direct impact of human activity and our behavior. So every choice that you make does end up being a drop in the bucket. So whether you choose to carpool or take public transportation as opposed to just driving your own car or maybe even the choice of car you choose to drive can have an impact, whether it's more fuel efficient or not. But also even things that are as simple as choosing to bring your own reusable bags to the grocery store as opposed to using plastic or opting for paper. Plastics themselves, honestly, are are something we really need to start considering phasing out of our society. Although they have revolutionized our technology and in terms of how much food is available and how well we can store things, producing plastic requires the burning of fossil fuels. So there's a lot of little things. I'm a big believer in composting. Recently, we've started composting at Moat, and composting is a great way to both improve the environment around you, but also reduce your waste. Because when you compost, you're diverting any food waste from a landfill, which when food scraps go to a landfill, they tend to decompose a lot slower and they produce more greenhouse gases than they would if you were to instead divert them to a compost bin where they would be turned into nutrient-rich soil. And then that soil can then be used for gardening or planting and that nutrients gets recycled into your environment. Plants honestly love it. (laughs) I bring some of our our composted soil home sometimes and put it into my plants and they have never looked as healthy as they do now. Not everyone's scuba certified, not everyone can do the scientific research, but everyone can do something, whether it's just one small change in your daily life. And the more changes you make, the more impact you have. What is one thing that you hope scientists will discover about our oceans this year? Happy New Year, everyone. (laughs) Happy New Year. (laughs) 
I think we're still discovering new things about the ocean every day. There's still so many organisms and places and cracks and crevices in, in the ocean that we have yet to investigate. And I hope that we'll express more to those who aren't scientists how important our oceans really are. Life on land really wouldn't be possible if our oceans aren't healthy. And that's no matter where you live. The oceans are the majority of this planet and it's where the majority of life exists. I hope this year, especially with COVID and how everything's been going in the past couple of years, I hope that we as scientists are more easily able to communicate how we are connected to it and how our impact not only affects the ocean, but the ocean impacts us as well. Yes, this was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate this opportunity and I'm just excited to be here. And now for the episode recap. Coral reefs are one of the most diverse and important ecosystems on our planet, but climate change is hitting them hard. Increasing water temperatures are stressing the corals out, and the more carbon dioxide we pump into the atmosphere, the more goes into the oceans. As that carbon dioxide enters the ocean, it mixes with the other molecules there and eventually shoots off a bunch of extra hydrogen ions into the salty mix. This is what causes the ocean to get more and more acidic. It impacts corals because as this chemical change happens, it means there is less calcium carbonate available for the coral, and that molecule is what corals use to build their skeleton. Corals are a really cool mix of their hard, stony skeleton, their soft animal insides, and the algae inside of that. It's all one big happy family of food, protection, and habitat building, until something goes wrong, like ocean acidification. The more the oceans acidify, the more energy corals have to put into making their skeleton homes. And the weaker the skeleton, the more likely it'll break in storms or waves. The coral reefs of Florida have had a really hard time of it in the last several decades, but scientists are working hard to fix it and to bring these ecosystems back. Folks like Amanda are looking at the chemistry, while others are looking at breeding more resilient corals, looking into disease, and even bringing baby corals out to devastated reefs and planting them there to grow. And these efforts are working. While it sometimes feels like a race against the clock of climate change, there are reefs that are growing again, thanks to the years of work that so many people have dedicated to coral reefs. And remember, you can do your part as well. Even if you don't live near the ocean or near coral reefs, your actions can still make a difference. So next time you bring a reusable bag to a grocery store or take a bus instead of driving, somewhere in the world there is a baby coral saying thanks. A huge thanks for this episode goes to Moat Marine Labs and all the scientists there. You can find more information about them at moat.org, which will be linked on my website, goforthinscience.com slash podcast. You can also follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Protect Our Reefs, all one word. And if you want to learn more about my journey to coral reefs this winter, stay tuned. In the coming months, I'll be publishing comics about the reefs in Florida, their struggles and successes, and the animals that call them home. You can also find out more about that on my website or check out some of my other comics at webtoons.com. Thanks for listening and Happy New Year.